So this morning we're going to get into Acts chapter 2. We're going to be picking up in verse 14 and hoping to get through verse 41. I entitled this morning's message, the inaugural sermon of the age of grace. Um, Spurgeon had a preacher's college. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. It would have been fun to be a part of it. He had this tradition where he would actually be giving his uh, students uh, a text. And right on the spot, they would just randomly pick a text, and right on the spot, they would have to get up and preach it. Um, and one time, uh, one of the students was given the, uh, the subject of Zacchaeus, that passage for uh, his, his subject to cover. And the student stood up and said, Zacchaeus was of little stature, so am I. Zacchaeus was up a tree, so am I. Zacchaeus came down. So will I. And he sat down. (laughs) Here this morning, guys, we have Peter. And he's put on the spot. But he gets to deliver the inaugural sermon of the Age of Grace. And it is a good one. First, Peter really, he takes a match. (laughs) And then wildfire, 3,000 acres. (laughs) Um... Just the warming of the good news being presented. There's nothing like it. So let's take a look here for you guys who are note takers. Uh, Simple outline for us this morning. It starts with what does this mean? And it ends with what shall we do? So what does this mean? Again, let's look at verse 12 that we looked at last week. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Well, let's pick it up in verse 14 because Peter is going to tell us. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall will dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will, pour out, uh, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. Verse 19, I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, As you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. 
whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life, and you will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne, he, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted at the right hand of God and have received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your, or your enemies your footstool. So they had asked, in verse 12, what does this mean? And now, they were about to know. First of all, verse 15, were these men drunk? What's going on here? We looked at last week, what happened? The Holy Spirit fell. They all began to speak in other tongues, other languages, declaring the glories of God. Well, this was not distilled spirits. This was no other than the Holy Spirit at work. Now, verses 17 to 21 is an overview. The last days, verse 17 here, okay, means that period between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. So the time in which we live right now is what is being spoken of here. First, he shares about the beginning of that outpouring, verses 17 and 18, then about its ending. And that's the tribulation time that we see in verses 19 and 20. So it's the dawning of the age, or it's sunset. And what happens in between? Verse 21 happens, guys. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay, That's why we are uh, dispensationalists here at Freedom. We believe we are in this age of grace. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the last days encompass the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, prophecy, visions, and dreams, signs, and wonders, and salvation to any who believe. But I want you guys to keep in mind, neither signs nor wonders, prophecy nor visions, nor dreams save people. Only the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. 
It is the gospel that saves people. And I love this because next he'll answer who is the Lord and what is salvation from verse 21. So let's take a look here at Peter's four-point sermon about Jesus of Nazareth. We see in verses 22 to 36, he lays this all out for us. And the first thing I want you guys to catch is Jesus' life and ministry on earth. Verse 22, Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Now, this leads them to the bloodstained path right up to Calvary because the second thing Peter now brings up is Jesus' crucifixion. Verse 23, Him, Jesus, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Wow. God's best <laughs> himself. Jesus, God came and he did. God gave the best he possibly could, right? I love what Octavius of Winslow, he nails it on the head when he said this. Who delivered up Jesus to die? Not Judas for money. Not Pilate for fear. Not the Jews for envy. But the Father for love. I love it. So we see God's best, but we also see man's worst here, don't we? John Stott said, before we can see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. It's our sin that put him there, guys. It wasn't a bunch of disgruntled Jews 2,000 years ago and some Romans who had crosses for their form of torture and death. No, it was our sin that put him there, guys. In summary, I did it. My sins sent him there. He did it. His love took him there. Thirdly, he brings up Jesus' resurrection in verses 24 to 32. Look at verse 24. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. So when death stung Jesus Christ, it stung itself to death. Man, we could preach on that all day long. Do you understand? Death has nothing on us any longer. Christ overcame it. He defeated it. There is victory in Christ over death. We're passing through, brothers and sisters. This life, these bod, man, this is a tent. <laughs> That's all we are. If you are in Christ, we are just passing through. And the day we take our last breath here upon this planet, guess what? We are in glory with Jesus. It's not dying. It's graduating. I can't wait. So the fourth thing, then he talks about Jesus' exaltation, verses 33 and 35. And please note this. I love this sermon by Peter. I think this is one of the greatest sermons in all of the Bible. 
Okay? He nails it. But his sermon was simple. Did you guys see how simple? It was so straightforward. It was scriptural, right? He was quoting Joel in a psalm. It was Christ-centered. It was convicting and practical. Simple. And it's as good as it gets. So we started with what does this mean? And now it ends with what do we do? What do we do with this? Let's take a look at verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know accordingly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were caught to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Okay, how exactly then does a person become a follower of Jesus Christ? You see, we learn from this group that there is a time when one is not a Christian and then is one. That's very clear. Something happened to this group. They moved from one position to another. They were added to the church. We see that in verse 41 and 47. So first, they did not belong, and then they did. 3,000 people underwent a complete change. Their whole position revolutionized. Their thinking, their actions, their outlook had all changed. Okay, so how does that happen? It wasn't the preaching of Peter. I hope you guys see that. Though it was incredible. (laughs) It wasn't his preaching. It was only one thing, and it happens to every individual that has ever been saved. It is the action of the Holy Spirit. You see, they were cut to the heart. I love that. You see, you don't take up Christianity. Does that make sense to you? You you can take up Christian science. You can take up many cults. You can join a church, but you cannot take up Christianity. By definition, Christianity is something that takes you up. You see, it's not something you do, but it's something that is done for you. You see, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you guys to listen carefully to what Paul said in Ephesians 5. He said, you, speaking to believers, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, 
and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. But God, don't you guys love the but gods in the Bible? I do. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, okay, we were sinners, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Okay? It is a gift. It is his grace. So the Spirit of God was using the Word of God and applying it to them. Okay? Again, how is a person saved? It's by the gospel. That is the power. The Word must be, be preached. Where does faith come from? Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's why we must be sharing with others the truth of God's word. Now, the Holy, Holy Spirit first caused them to think. It's important to understand that we need to engage. We need to think. God's given us brains, right? I don't understand how they work. I know it's only three pounds of muscle. I know some people's brains work a lot better than mine do. <laughs> I don't quite understand, but God has made us in his image and he's allowed us to think, to process, to reason. So the Holy Spirit caused them to think. Let all those of the household of Israel know, okay? Know this. So they were made to think. Some think Christianity is really brainless and thoughtless. If anything, false religion is the opium of, to the masses, okay? But not Christianity. To repent, one must think, correct? You can't repent unless you think. Because repent, metonai, means to have what? A change of mind. That's what the Greek word means. To have a change of mind. To think about your situation, right? The Spirit always leads people to think. Where am I at? What situation am I in? What about life? What about death? What about the hereafter? What about your sin? And so on. So the greatest trouble is that men and women go through life without thinking. That's the problem. A lot of you guys know I just finished up six years of doing chaplaincy work in the jail, and I don't know how many, literally hundreds, hundreds of men and women I talked to who never thought about these things of God. Never in their entire lifetime even thought about these things. You see, guys, the greatest trouble is that when men and women go through life without thinking... I think people think for a moment sometimes and it's just too hard. I don't want to go there. I'll grab a bottle instead. I'll turn on the TV. I'll just do anything just to forget not to have to deal with that. And what does the Spirit make us think about? Not about ourselves. Newsflash, Christianity does not start with you. It does not start with our sin, your happiness, your peace. No, 
the people in Jerusalem were made to think about Jesus. Christianity is about Jesus. It's all about him. I want you guys to listen carefully to these six steps. First, we must face the person of Jesus Christ. His life, his death, his resurrection. Isn't that where Peter took him? We see that clearly here. That's the first thing that happens. And isn't the Holy Spirit at work today convicting the world of that? Hey, you're a sinner. You need a Savior. <laughs> okay? It brings, <laughs> he's bringing people to that. Think on that. Number two, guys. The second step we see is we must own our part. Whom you crucified. Do you understand that? That happened 2,000 years ago, but I was a part of that. <laughs> you understand that? You need to think through that. Whom you crucified. Peter loved these people enough to tell them the truth regarding that they were spiritually bankrupt. Okay? He loved them. Some of you guys might think, Pastor, you're harsh sometimes. I love you. And the truth does sting. But I love you enough to tell you the truth. And the truth is Jesus. We need to think about him. We need to consider him. We need to understand that we are absolutely broke before God. We have nothing. Our sin has resulted in eternal damnation, eternal separation from God. There is a hell. And without Jesus, there is no hope. The third thing that is brought up here the next step is then we must understand that he's both Lord and Christ. Okay? We need to understand that. They saw that they had been fighting against God. They were rejecting his Christ. There is no greater sin than not to see any need of Jesus Christ. And who are the greatest sinners in the world? It's those who don't think about Christ at all. Fourth step, this of course leads to conviction. They were cut to the heart. Cut to the heart. And who did that, guys? The Holy Spirit. You see, Peter was faithful to speak. And the Holy Spirit was faithful to bring the conviction through the Word of God. You see, better, <laughs> Peter had better aim this time. <laughs> Did he cut off a dude's ear not too long ago? Now he's cutting people's hearts. Right? He's speaking the word and it's going right to their heart. Spurgeon said this, a bleeding Savior makes men's heart bleed. I love that. The Spirit gives a warning here. To the heart, to the soul, to the conscience. I want to share a story with you guys from March 18, 1937 that will bring some application to this step. A spark uh, ignited a cloud of natural gas um, that accumulated in the basement of a New London school uh, in Texas. Um, the blast killed 293 people. Most of them were kids, were children. Um, and it was because of that accident that they added an it added an odor to natural gas, so now we can smell it. <laughs> oh, that's natural gas. This is not good. <laughs> this is scary. 
something bad could happen real quick here. You see, the smell became a warning if you smelt it. So this cutting of the heart, this conviction, this guilt is like that odor. It's a warning of a danger that is to come. Fifth step. This leads to our heart responding by asking, what shall I do? What shall I do? And we have to ask that question. We have to think about Jesus. We have to think about this truth, this reality. Why would God do this? What can we do? Pray more? Give more? Work more? No. We simply follow verse 38 right here. (laughs) Repent. That's the only thing we can do, guys. The only thing. It's when one acknowledges there's something spiritually wrong with me, I'm in trouble, I'm guilty before God. It's when you realize that I am a part of this crooked generation, right? This word perverse in verse 40, the Greek is skolios. That's where we get the word scoliosis from, right? It's when there's a curvature, abnormal curvature in someone's spine, Okay, a winding, a twisting, slanted, crooked. That's who we are as a people. And there's nothing left to do then but what? Cry out to the Lord. (laughs) We're messed up, God. We need help. We need you. What shall we do? And this leads to the sixth step, which is obedience. Obedience to repent and be baptized. You see, repent. He asks them, adopt an entirely different view of Christ. They already felt this bitter remorse for their sin. But alone, that can't save anyone, can it? I'm so sorry. I understand what we did to God. We crucified Him. Man, how could we do that? That's not going to save you. You see... You must go to the next step, which is change what you believe. They must believe Jesus is the Son of God and that his death and resurrection grants them new life. So this repentance and belief are these twin concepts. When Jesus came on the scene, we read right away in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus' teaching said, Repent and believe the gospel. Pretty simple, isn't it? You need to change your mind, guys. You need to turn to God and you need to believe. This is how one gets saved. And then the baptism that he's speaking of, that's a primary outward, some visual action that validates that inward decision that one has made to follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. So Peter was saying, if you're serious about receiving remission for your sins, of your sins, you should prove it and be baptized immediately. Well, that's the six things I found here. It's right here in God's Word. A lot of people want to ignore or confuse how salvation works. 
If we just read the whole of scriptures, it's very simple, very straightforward. But I do want to close with taking a look at verse 39 with you guys. For the promise is to you and your children and all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Have you shared this with your children? Pastor, that's why we bring them to church. The church is going to do that. No. Have you shared this with your children? I read a story about a four-year-old named Amanda. It was a while ago. I don't know if it was you. (laughs) But she went into the doctor's office. She had a fever. Um, And the, the doctor looked into her ears and said, Who's in there? Donald Duck? She said, no. He looked in her nose and said, who's in there? Mickey Mouse? She said, no. He put his stethoscope on her heart and said, who's in there? Barney? Amanda replied, no. Jesus is in my heart. Barney's on my underwear. So have you shared this promise with your children? He also says this is for to all those who are afar off. That's us. Don't you love that? That's us. That was not just for the small group of Jewish people 2,000 years ago. That's for now, for today, for all who are far off. So has the Holy Spirit cut your heart today? Has he done that? Are you ready to make a confession without reservations and cast yourself completely, entirely upon God's mercy, upon his love? Isaac Watts sang a song that says, Love so amazing, so divine, Demands my soul, my life, my all. I'm going to have the worship team come up at this time. And I want to make it clear for every single person here this morning, or you who are listening online. There is an invitation. God does not force himself upon anybody and says, you have to be my child. You have to have a relationship with me. You have no choice in the matter. You just have to be. That is not love. That is not in God's character. But he so loved us that he did what we couldn't and gave his life in our place. And in doing so, it became a gift. He gave us that gift of eternal life. He took our penalty, he took our sin, so we could have his life. That we too could spend eternity with him. That is a gift. It's an invitation. 
but it has to be received by faith. The Holy Spirit does his part and convicts. Makes it clear that, yeah, this is true. This is what you needed. I don't understand how people can reject it, but people do it all the time. But the invitation is always there. It is an invitation that many, many of you have responded to. It's an invitation some of you have heard your entire life but haven't responded personally. It's an invitation that God has asked us to go and to share with this world. And I encourage you guys to do that. We saw in verse 41 here, there were 3,000 newborn spiritual babies in Christ. I wish I could have seen that happen. I wish I could have been there for Peter's sermon. That would have been cool. But what do these newborns do? This means a lot of responsibility, right? We have all these babes in Christ. There's a lot of work to do. Well, we're going to talk about the best way for these newborns to get grounded in the Lord next week. So I encourage you guys to read ahead. We're going to be in Acts 2.42 and on a little bit. For you guys who are newer to Freedom Fellowship, you're going to find out why we do church, why the way we do it. It's just from the Bible. It's what they did in the early church. And we're trying to keep it that way today. But there are things that God's wanting to do in our lives. We come to faith. We need to grow. And we need to share. His ways are pretty simple. How salvation works, pretty simple. But what are you going to do with it? Are you going to think on these things? Are you going to engage what the Word of God says? What the Holy Spirit has been doing in your heart? Or not? The choice is yours. I would highly encourage you (laughs) to seek the Lord. Don't try to ignore what He's doing. He loves you. He desires relationship with you for all time. He's done his part, amen? We need to do our part.